If long I had panted for a drink from some cool spring that I hoped would quench the burning of the thirst I felt within. Hallelujah, I have found him whom my soul so long has craved. Jesus satisfies my longing through his blood I now am saved. Feeding on the husks around me till my strength was almost gone. Longed my soul for something better, only still to hunger on. Hallelujah, I have found him whom my soul so long has craved. Jesus satisfies my longings through his blood I now am saved. Well of water ever springing, bread of life so rich and free, untold wealth that never faileth, my Redeemer is to me. Hallelujah, I have found him, whom my soul so long has craved. Jesus satisfies my longings, through his blood I now am saved. Mark chapter 2 this morning. You want to go with me there to Mark chapter 2? Kind of doing the same thing um, I've done at other parts where the different uh, Gospels tell the same story and just in a slightly different way. And so this is the same as where I would have been in Matthew, but um, just one of the statements from Jesus stood out in this passage. And so that's why I'm using it this morning. So I'm going to read um, starting in verse 24 of Mark chapter 2. It says, And the Pharisees said unto him, Behold, why do they on the Sabbath day that which is... Sorry, I needed to back up there. I wrote down the wrong thing. So that's verse 23. It says, And it came to pass that he went through the cornfields on the Sabbath day. And his disciples began as they went to pluck the ears of corn. And the Pharisees said unto him, Behold, why do they on the Sabbath day that which is not lawful? And he said unto them, Have you never read what David did when he had need and was in hunger? He and they that were with him, how he went into the house of God in the days of Abiathar the high priest, and did eat the showbread, which is not lawful to eat, but for the priests, and gave also to them which were with him. And he said unto them, The Sabbath was made for man, and not man for the Sabbath. Therefore, the Son of Man is Lord also of the Sabbath. And we'll pray. Lord, again, we just thank you for your word. Thank you for the ministry of Jesus and the teachings that he gave. And Lord, I just pray that you would um, guide me as I'm 
going through this passage, Lord, and I just pray that uh, what I say this morning would be a help to somebody here. I just ask for your guidance and your blessing on our time in Christ's name. Amen. <clears throat> so, in this passage, um, the disciples and Jesus are walking through a field, and there's grain there, and they're plucking the heads of the grain, and probably rolling in their hands to clean off the chaff, and, and they're eating it. And the Pharisees see them doing this, and they make this accusation, and they go to Jesus to accuse the disciples of breaking the Sabbath by doing this work of harvesting on the Sabbath day. And so Jesus kind of points them to these other passages from the Old Testament where David also did these things that weren't lawful and there was no accusation against him over that thing. And <clears throat> the truth of it is, is what they were doing didn't actually break any law that the Bible itself had given, but it was only the rules that the Pharisees themselves had made up. So it's not that Jesus and the disciples were actually breaking the Sabbath. They weren't, but that was the accusation. But Jesus makes a couple of statements here, and the two statements that stand out of those last verses says, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. He's giving the point of the Sabbath was it's for you, not you for it. And so it just, your attitude, the way you approach the thing is wrong is basically what he's telling them. And the other thing he says, the son of man, that's himself, of, of course, is Lord also of the Sabbath. He's the Lord of the Sabbath. He can do with it what he wants because he made it in the first place. And so he's making these two statements. What I'm going to do today, I just want to look at what we're supposed to do with that Sabbath. Um, how we're supposed to respond to that teaching. Um, are we supposed to observe the Sabbath or not? And I know many of you know the answers to these, you know, you've determined already through your own study or through other teachings about this, but um, I just thought this would be helpful to some to go through some of these things today. So to answer that, we're going to have to go back into the Old Testament and look at the, how it originated, where this came from, and what its purpose really was. So if you want to, if you want to turn with me, I'm going to go back to Exodus chapter 20, when we were given the law. We're given the Ten Commandments, and this is the argument that is often made um, of those that actually believe that we need to follow the Sabbath. Um, it comes from this is that Sabbath observance is a part of the Ten Commandments and we're just going to read this passage in uh, Exodus chapter 20 it says and God spake all these words saying 
I am the Lord thy God, which has brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven images, or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children under the third and the fourth generation of them that hate me, and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work, thou nor thy son nor thy daughter, thy manservant, nor thy maidservant, nor thy cattle, nor thy stranger that is within thy gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day, and hallowed it. Honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. Thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. And thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's host, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his ass, nor anything that is thy neighbor's. And so we have these ten commandments given to us, and pretty much right in the middle, the fourth commandment is that of the Sabbath day. Verse 8 says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And then it says, six days shalt thou labor and do thy work, but the seventh is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work. And then gives this list of you and nobody else in your home or your servants, your cattle, nothing. It's a day of rest for the whole nation and everybody that's in it. And it gave the reason for it, the example for it, was in creation. For God made the earth in six days and he rested on the seventh day. And that was setting that example. So when we look at these things, every other of the Ten Commandments, the nine other commandments, are all things that are taught throughout Scripture. They're taught through the New Testament, they're repeated in the New Testament in some way, to the church. And these are things that we hold to to this day as being guidance. Um, we know that these things are wrong. We know we need to obey all of these other commandments. Uh, these are considered moral law. We need to continue to obey these things. And so the argument is, is, if we must obey all of the other commandments, why would we make the exception for this one? And there are many who believe that we shouldn't make that exception. Uh, there's uh, a term called, called Sabbatarians. 
just means that they believe in obeying the Sabbath. And there's different levels of that. Um, we have Seventh-day Adventists that are very strict on that. And there's even a group called Seventh-day Baptists. And there's another group that are sometimes referred to as Christian Sabbatarians, who rather than obeying the Sabbath as the seventh day, which would be Saturday, they obey the Sabbath, they've shifted it to Sunday, the first day of the week, which was also known as the Lord's Day, being the day that Jesus was resurrected from the tomb. And we saw that the tradition was for the disciples and the people in the New Testament to start meeting on that day. And so Christians, and this is a very popular view, is they treat Sunday like it was the Sabbath. And if you're about my age or, or older, you probably remember when um, Sunday shopping became a thing. Uh, when I was a small child, Sunday shopping wasn't a thing. You couldn't go to the grocery store. You couldn't go to a hardware store on a Sunday. Nothing was going to be open on that day. And over time, those rules got relaxed and stores started to open and it became normal over time. But Christians at the time, as that was happening, were in outrage because of the, the sanctity of that day. And they treated Sunday as if it was the Sabbath, that we shouldn't be doing work, we shouldn't be running our businesses on that day. And so the question we need to ask is, are they correct? Are, should we be treating Sunday like the Sabbath? Should we be obeying the Sabbath rules in some way? And so we need to continue looking at this. I'm going to turn to Genesis chapter 2 is where we see the original mention of this. Genesis chapter 2 starts off saying, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God ended his work which he had made, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had made. And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because that in it he had rested from all his work which God created and made. And that's all that it says about that in this place. But we see three, three things that God says about this here. It says, he ended his work and he rested on that seventh day. And it should be noted that God wasn't tired. <laughs> God wasn't worn out from all this work that he had done. God doesn't get tired but it just simply means he stopped. He didn't do anything else on that day. It, the work was complete and he didn't, he just paused from what he was doing. But he, that pause, that rest that he took on that seventh day, uh, says he rested on that seventh day from the work which he had made. And verse three says, and God blessed that seventh day and he sanctified it. And this word sanctified means that 
it's a it's a similar term to being holy it means it's set apart it's exalted it's being lifted up separated from other days and we see our whole world has maintained that seven day week have you ever thought about why why a seven day week why does the, the whole world follow that seven day week and it's because God started that God initiated that seven day week and, and we've continued to follow it I don't see that it makes sense in any other way other than God said that this is how long a week is there's an interesting thought though when we look at um, people with the evolutionary theory and Christians who believe in that and try to fit evolution with the Bible, erase that blessing, erase the sanctification of that day that God did if it wasn't a literal day. If this wasn't a literal week, six days of creation with the seventh day of God's rest, we nullify God's blessing of that day, at least in our in our minds we do, because this is taken to be literal. And if we don't take it to be literal, then the sanctification of that seventh day can't be literal either. It says that God blessed it, he sanctified it, because in it he rested from his work, which he created and made. It was the completion of creation that caused him to pause and look at what he had made. And he said, behold, it was good. And he paused. And he sanctified that because of what he had made. Because he had stopped from making those things. If you notice... There is no instruction to Adam given at this time. <laughs> it says that he sanctified that day. He set, set that day apart. But there was no instruction given to man at this point to observe that Sabbath day. There was no guidance for obedience and setting aside that day for doing no work in that day given to man at that point. And that's an interesting point. And when we go through the book of Genesis, we go through and we see Noah comes and goes. We see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And there's never one mention of any of these people either observing the Sabbath day or being told to observe the Sabbath day. There's no one mention right up until the nation of Israel is leaving Egypt in Exodus chapter 16. I'm not going to turn to, to Exodus 16, but when God makes the manna come down from heaven to feed the people as they've left Egypt, he gave six days, each day he gave manna, food for them to eat. But he said on the sixth day, he'll give you twice as much as you need for that day. You gather it to 
keep for the next day because he wasn't going to give it on that seventh day. And this is the very first time from Genesis 2 until Exodus 16 that that's mentioned. And there are several thousand years have taken place in a lot of events in the Bible, and there is no mention of anyone observing the Sabbath or being told to observe the Sabbath during that time. It's like, now, in Exodus 16, when God gives the manna and he's feeding the people, it wasn't so much the command for them to observe the Sabbath as it was God was still observing the Sabbath. He did six days of work in creation, and now he's did six days of feeding these people, and he was still going to take that rest. He was going to sanctify that day. And it's like this was a preview of what was about to come as he gave the law. And when we go back to the law, if we go back to Exodus chapter 31, we see an additional comments regarding this Sabbath day as it was given in the law. And starting in verse 12, it says, And he said, Lift up now thine eyes and see all the rams which leap upon the cat. I'm in the wrong spot. Exodus 31. I'm in Genesis. Sorry. <laughs> Exodus 31, verse 12. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak thou also unto the children of Israel, saying, Verily my Sabbath shall ye keep, for it is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that ye may know that I am the Lord that doth sanctify you. Ye shall keep the Sabbath, therefore, for it is holy unto you. Every one that defileth it shall surely be put to death. For whosoever do with any work therein, that soul shall be cut off from among his people. Six days may work be done, but in the seventh is a Sabbath of rest, holy to the Lord. Whosoever doeth any work in the Sabbath day, he shall surely be put to death. Wherefore the children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath to observe the Sabbath throughout their generations for a perpetual covenant. It is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. He begins this in verse 13, and he repeats in verse 17, it is a sign between me and the children of Israel. The Sabbath is given to Israel as a sign. It's not part of the moral law, as some would claim, but it is a sign given with that law, with that covenant that God made with Moses. And we can see other examples of these signs that are given. When, when God destroyed the earth with a flood, at the end of that flood, when Noah exited that ark, God made a promise to Noah that he would never destroy the earth again with a flood. And he gave 
Noah a sign, and that sign was a rainbow. When God made a covenant with Abraham that he was going to make of him a great nation, who through, through him all nations would be blessed, he gave him a sign, and that sign was circumcision. And when Moses made a covenant with, or sorry, when God made a covenant with Moses, and he gave the law, and a promise of blessing through that law, he gave a sign, and that sign was the Sabbath. And that is what it's described as in Exodus 31, is a sign. I'm going to read, I've got a couple of passages here um, from John MacArthur in, this, in a study that he did on this. I'm going to read it. I couldn't say it better than what he did. So he said, It was only a sign. Observing it without a repentant heart gained nothing. In fact, Isaiah 1 verse 13 says, Bring no more vain oblations. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbaths and the calling of assemblies. It is iniquity. He's calling the Sabbaths, their observance of the Sabbaths, iniquity. And the prophet of Hosea pronounced a similar judgment on their hypocritical Sabbath. He says, I will cause all her mirth to cease, her, first, her feast days, her new moons, and her Sabbaths. It's going to cause the Sabbaths to cease. Because it didn't mean anything to observe it outwardly without a heart of love and devotion to God, but it was a symbol. It was a sign. The Sabbath was a reminder of creation. The Sabbath was there to remind the people of Israel that men had forfeited paradise. The law said to them, Obey this law and you will be blessed. And God said this repeatedly, Obey the law and you will be blessed. To show them that righteousness is what was required to restore their relationship with God, to restore earth to the paradise that was in Eden. Righteous behavior would point to a future, a future kingdom where paradise could be regained. And so the Sabbath, every Sabbath that went by, they rest, when they rested, they were reminded of a perfect creation, a paradise of God dominated by righteousness which had been forfeited by sin and could only be regained again by righteousness. And God then institutes this seven-day system not for everybody in the world. In fact, it says specifically it's for Israel. And in verse 17, again, he said, it's a sign between me and the sons of Israel forever. So every Sabbath day was a reminder that they were living in a fallen world. Every Sabbath day was a reminder that they had lost paradise. And the only way to regain a taste of paradise was by obedience to God in righteousness. And they therefore were to consider the importance of obeying these Ten Commandments 
they were to consider the importance that on the seventh day, examining their own lives and looking at how they were measuring up against the law of God, they were to recognize their own sin. This was the objective in bringing them to repentance. So the first Sabbath day identified God as a creator, but the institution of the Sabbath in the Mosaic law, in that covenant, it identified God as the lawgiver. The first view was to produce gratitude for the wonder of creation. The second is to produce repentance for the sin. And so the Sabbath takes on a new meaning here. Yes, it's still a reminder that God created, but it's a reminder that the creation of God, which was originally perfect, is now marred, and we are marred. And the realm of his creation is stained by sin. We are stained by sin. And the creation, as Paul puts it, is groaning. And we are groaning as well. Sin has destroyed man's relationship with God. And the only way to regain it is to be righteous. And obviously they couldn't keep that law. We know that we cannot keep that law. But they were to be driven to repentance, to, be, to plead with God, to be merciful to them as sinners. When Jesus came, he changed everything. He didn't just come to correct the priesthood. He came, he didn't just come to remove the corrupt priests and to keep the good ones. He came to eliminate the priesthood altogether. He didn't just come to cleanse the use of the sacrifices. He came to eliminate the sacrificial system, to become the sacrifice once and for all. He brought an end to Judaism, in God's mind, at least, with all of its ceremonies, its rituals, all of its sacrifices, the temple, the Holy of Holies, all of it, including the Sabbath. Jesus came to make a new covenant, to do away with the old and, just, and the sign that came with it, which was the Sabbath day observance. In our passage in Mark chapter 2, the Pharisees are accusing Jesus and his disciples of breaking the Sabbath. Like I said, they weren't. They weren't breaking any rule that the Old Testament scripture had given. They were only breaking rules that the religious leaders had made up and added to the law. Jesus points out the Sabbath is given for man, not man for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was intended to be a time of refreshing, a time of rest, a time of reflection. And they had ruined that. They had ceased from doing that and they were just stuck on following the letter of the law and their hearts weren't in it. And so they were no longer being refreshed by the Sabbath. It, was, it had become a burden to them. And the second thing that Jesus says is he 
said that he is Lord of the Sabbath. He made it. And he could eliminate it. And that's a part of what he did on the cross. God designed the Sabbath to be a blessing, to bring rest. To bring a day in the week when you could thank God for the glory of his creation. And also be made aware that paradise had been lost. It was a day to show gratitude for the creation, a day to repent and seek forgiveness. To give men an opportunity to thank God for creation and then to examine our lives against the law and seeing the sin there and seek forgiveness and mercy and receive the resulting joy and peace of salvation through that. These Jews, they found no rest from their endless works and efforts at salvation. They found no repentance in their hearts. The Sabbath laws were a shadow of hope. They were a weekly reminder that there was a paradise to be regained and that it was to be regained through righteousness. And when Jesus came, he brought the rest, the true rest, and we can get our righteousness through him by becoming a new person through him. Under the new covenant, we're healed, we're washed, we're found and accepted. And we've entered into a rest with none other than Christ himself, the creator of the universe. We've been given his righteousness and we can rejoice in that gift. We can cease from all our efforts to earn our salvation. And so Jesus literally did away with the Sabbath by becoming the Sabbath himself. If you want to look in Hebrews chapter 3, Hebrews chapter 3 talks about this. It says, take heed, in verse 12, take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God, but exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we are made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. While it is said, Today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts as in the provocation. For some, when they had heard, did provoke. Howbeit, not all that came out of Egypt by Moses, but with whom was he grieved forty years? Was it not with them that had sinned, whose carcasses fell in the wilderness, and to whom Swear he that they should not enter into his rest, but to them that believe not. So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. Chapter 4 carries on and says, Let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of you 
should seem to come short of it. For unto us was the gospel preached, as well as unto them, but the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. For we which have believed do enter into rest. As he said, I have sworn in my wrath, if they shall enter into my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. And in that verse, we can see the connection to the Sabbath when he makes that reference, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. He's talking about the same rest that he was talking about in the Sabbath. That rest of the Sabbath was a picture of the eternal rest that we can have in Christ. It says, For he spake in a certain place of the seventh day on this wise, and God did rest the seventh day from all his works. And in this place again, if they shall enter into my rest, seeing therefore it remaineth that some must enter therein, and they to whom it was first preached entered not in because of unbelief. Again, he limiteth a certain day, saying, In David, today, after so long a time, as it is said, Today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts. For if Jesus had given them rest, that's Jesus is Joshua in the Old Testament, then would he not afterwards have spoken of another day. There remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. For he that is entered into his rest, he also, also hath ceased from his own works, as God did from his. Let us labor therefore to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. And he ties us together completely that that Sabbath day was given as a picture of the rest that we can find in Christ. And that comes through faith, through believing that message. And that's what caused all those people that 40 years in the wilderness when all of the people that came out of Egypt perished in that wilderness because of their unbelief. He God would not give them rest during that time because of their unbelief. And that is exactly what he's given to us. Romans chapter 14, if you want to go there, turn there. Romans 14, starting verse 5 says, One man esteemeth one day above another, another esteemeth every day alike. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. He that regardeth the day regardeth it unto the Lord, and he that regardeth not the day, to the Lord he doth not regard it. He that eateth eateth to the Lord, and he that giveth, and for he giveth God thanks, and he that eateth not, to the Lord he eateth not, and giveth God thanks. For none of us liveth to himself, and no man dieth to himself. For whether we live, we live unto the Lord, and whether we die, we die unto the Lord. Whether we live, therefore, or die, we are the Lord's. And this passage is talking about 
this discussion that was taking place in the church between the, the Jews and the Gentiles and the different people involved. And some still believed that they needed to obey the Sabbath and the dietary restrictions. And this is what he's talking about. He says, one man esteemeth one day above another, in the, as in the Sabbath day. We, some believe that they need to obey that Sabbath, and some don't. And he says, be convinced in your heart of what you're doing. But his point was, if, if it was a, required to obey the Sabbath, this would have been the point where Paul would have clarified that issue, isn't it? He would have said, you need to do this. But he just said, be convinced in your own mind. And the point was, is that it's not necessary. Over in Galatians chapter 4, Verse 9 says, But now, after that ye have known God, or rather, are known of God, how turn ye again to the weak and beggarly elements, whereunto ye desire again to be in bondage? Ye observe days and months and times and years. Paul's asking this church, what are you doing going back and submitting yourself requiring to obey the law as if your salvation depended on the obedience of these things. And he points out that they're trying to require the observance of the Sabbath day. That was one of those points that he brings in. You observe days and months and times and years. There's all these different feasts and things that the Jews observed beyond just the Sabbath day. But that's included here and he says you don't need those things those are not required for your salvation just faith in Christ alone is all that you need and again in Colossians chapter 2 Colossians 2 and verse 11 I'm going to read through to 17 here. It says, In whom also ye are circumcised with a circumcision made without hands in putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God, who hath raised him from the dead. And if you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing, triumphing over them in it. Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of an holy day, or of the new moon, or of the Sabbath days, which are a shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ. And he has a comparison here 
between circumcision and then he brings in the, the observance of the Sabbath days. And in Galatians chapter 5, he makes very clear that circumcision is no longer necessary. And here he's making clear that observing the Sabbath is no longer necessary. It says, Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of an holy day or of the new moon or of the Sabbath days. These are a shadow of things to come. They're a shadow. They're a picture. And we have the substance. We have the fulfillment of that shadow in Christ. We no longer need to hang on to those pictures. That's all those Old Testament sacrifices, all those ceremonial things that they did in the Old Testament. We don't follow those things because they were just pointing to Christ just as the Sabbath was pointing to the eternal rest that we can have in Christ. And so we don't need to hold on to those things. This is a quote again from John MacArthur's lesson on this. It says, Don't let anybody hold you to a Sabbath. And that's referring to the weekly Sabbath. He's referring to this passage in Colossians. Because the other festival Sabbaths are covered under the term festival and new moon. Don't let anybody hold you to the Sabbath. It was part of the system that included the temple, the priesthood, and the sacrifices. It's gone. It was only a shadow, not the substance. It only pointed to the fact that God was the creator, that paradise has been lost, that you have come under the terrifying judgment of the law and need to repent and come to God and seek righteousness and mercy and grace at his hand. But the law didn't provide that. It's provided in Jesus Christ. Paul is saying you no longer need the shadow because we have the substance. We have the rest, the true rest. There is not one New Testament command to keep the Sabbath. All other of the nine, nine of the Ten Commandments are repeated in the New Testament except this one about the Sabbath. There are no prescriptions or Sabbath rules anywhere in the New Covenant. There's no instruction about behavior on the Sabbath anywhere in the New Testament. And one further example, in Acts chapter 15, which they call the Jerusalem Council, some of the apostles gathered together to discuss what we needed to require of the Gentiles. And not once did they mention requiring them to observe the Sabbath. The apostles never commanded anybody to observe the Sabbath day. They never chastised anybody for not obeying it. They never warned believers about violating the Sabbath. And they never encouraged believers to obey the Sabbath.
So essentially, Sabbath day observance is gone. We can go back to that original Genesis chapter 2 passage and be reminded that every seventh day of the week that goes by is an opportunity for us to acknowledge the greatness of our Creator. And we can bless that day by acknowledging God as Creator. We can glorify God in seeing Christ as the fulfillment of providing our rest. I've seen many people encouraging Christians to obey the Sabbath, to follow the Sabbath rules and laws. But I don't think they know the reasons why they're encouraging it. I'm sure that God gave it because our physical bodies do need a rest. We need to take a break. We can't work seven days a week, all day, every day, continuously. We need a rest. And so to take a day of rest isn't a bad thing, but to observe it as the Sabbath day, as if we're gaining something in this obedience of this day isn't the right attitude for it. The observance of the Sabbath day isn't required in the New Testament. It's not required of a Christian because our rest is found in Christ. Taking a day to rest our bodies is not a bad thing. But to think that we're sinning by picking up a shovel and working in the garden on that day or, or doing something like that is, is a wrong way to think of it. We need to celebrate the Sabbath in the Genesis sense, as we celebrate God as our creator. And then on the first day of the week, on Sunday, we can celebrate him as our redeemer. Let's pray. Lord, again, I just trust that you are working through your word, Lord. I pray that um, what I've said this morning is clear enough to understand. I pray, Lord, that the things that I've said is true and helpful, Lord. And so we commit this into your hand. Help us, Lord, to get into your word, to search the scriptures, to find out what you intend for us as we follow you, as we try to honor you in the way that we live our lives, Lord. Just ask your blessing again in Christ's name. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchase of God. Born of His Spirit, washed in His blood. This is my story, this is my song, pray
praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. Perfect submission, perfect Descending, bring him above. Echoes of mercy, whisper of love. This is my story, this is my song. Praising my Submission, all is at rest. I am my Savior, am happy and blessed. Watching and waiting, looking above, filled with His goodness, lost in His love. This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story, this is my song.